Welcome back, Warhorse Podcast, episode 24. The website is goldengoatguild.net. You can go there for your t-shirts. Beautiful, designed by my lovely wife. Your signed copies of King of Dogs. Easily the best novel of the past decade. And a variety of other services and products that you may be interested in golden goat guild on instagram is the main place where we keep everybody updated i'm here this episode with my dog Riker Riker. good boy mm, good boy and uh, surrounded by weaponry, various sorts. Sit. All the way down. Good boy. On the docket, I have three pieces of communication to respond to that I think may be valuable and or illuminating for the ongoing discussion. Next episode is slated to feature a very, very special guest, but I'm gonna keep it close to the chest for the moment, but look forward to that. Um, I went to the range this week. It's a local range, first time I had been there. And it's a national park, national forest range, public. 25, 50, 100 yard lanes, right off sort of a main highway. And uh, I like shooting in the woods much better than I do your typical you know, elaborate range setup, but there are benefits to each. Sometimes, you know, the range master and that whole process of 15 minutes on, 15 minutes to walk down range and change out your targets and all this stuff is, it's fine. Mostly I prefer to just be by myself um, in the woods. Perhaps that's because it's kind of what I, I've always done. I can do whatever I want, be on my own schedule, take my time, etc. So the public range 
of this sort with no range master, no nothing. Maybe the worst of both worlds. I'm not entirely sure, but so I'm there, I'm sighting in, I'm zeroing or re-zeroing this rifle. I had I had this issue pop up for the first time where my elevation bottomed out, meaning I can no longer dial down just to get my zero. And scopes are so different model to model that I wasn't, I kind of had an idea of what the fix was, but I wanted to read the manual before I spent three hours and fucked it up three different ways. Essentially, you undo the set screw on the side of your elevation turret, wind up, and on this particular scope, Leopold Mark V, 3 to 18, it has kind of a, one, there are multiple turrets you can get, multiple styles of turrets that you can get for this model. Um, some of which apparently really suck, but I got the good ones, and uh, but they operate in different ways. So this one sort of pulls up, then you wind it up twice, set it back down, then screw your set screw in. I was pretty sure that was what I wanted to do, but I went to the range, thought I had my Allen wrench, didn't. Fuck it. Well, I'll take a few shots anyway. Take a few shots. There's these dudes next to me. A little scraggly looking. Um, not not terrible. Not, um, but kind of on the rougher side. And um, maybe they had Palmetto State type ARs, but they absolutely um, had a high point. It was a newer high point. Why they had the high point? You know, this was not a case of a couple of high-speed dudes picked up a high point as a joke and are gonna go, you know, fuck around with it and bury it and see, see whatever. No, it was, um, that was the pistol. So I'm noting this. We're the only three people there, two of them, one of me, and, um, you know, there's that moment where you got to walk down to check your target, leave all your shit on the bench. Expensive scope, expensive rifle, a bag of accoutrement, and uh, kind of looking over my shoulder about 25 yards. I'm thinking, yeah, I could still handle this if they go for my shit. It's fine. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Just... But, you know, I don't, I can't really afford to replace such an expensive item right now. Nor do I want to. Um, nor do I want the hassle in any way, shape, or form of whatever the recourse would be. If there even is a recourse at this point in time. License plates, etc. I you know, county sheriffs. That's why 
I like the woods. By myself, plenty of latitude. Anyway, I come back. I confirm that I'm like still about eight inches high and I'm completely bottomed out. Don't find the Allen wrench. I'm packing up. Guy wants to ask me, you know, what kind of scope is that? Leopold. Oh, do you know which model? Uh, Mark IV. Or, excuse me, Mark V. And he says, oh, that's the, uh, that's the model that Chris Kyle used to shoot. And I was like, watching this guy's face to see is there any recognition on this guy's part um, of the story of Chris Kyle, right? Touted as the, the ultimate uh, super sniper, killer, warrior overseas. Gets chopped down by some random disgruntled turd at a public range. Bullet in the back of the head, as I recall. And um, I'm thinking, and the guy's, the guy's probably armed, you know, probably concealed something, but the high point's on the table, the ARs are down. There's no physical indication of threat. And um, I just smiled and said, yeah, probably, I don't know. And immediately departed. Adios. You guys take care. And it's one of these moments where maybe it's, as the micro covens would tell me, the universe confirming my predilections towards, you know, the, the, the truly private range, BLM, private land, what have you, where the worst I have to worry about as when I'm just trying to do tedious shit is uh, whatever, a, a bee stinging me maybe, or a sunburn. Or is it one of the weird cases where your will seems to, your dream, if you will, seems to be overriding or perhaps even incorporating NPC-like characters. Is that pretty solipsistic? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think that would be one of the downfalls of going with that particular, as well as, you know, a bit narcissistic and kind of just generally um, borderline batshit. Is it rather that... Chris Kyle is just some sort of figure, you know, that is lodged in um, kind of dilettante, you know, unregulated, untrained sort of, I don't know, maybe amateur, amateurish gun guys. Yeah, probably. In either case, um, 
maybe the point in sharing it is just that in many ways, you know, with uncertainty, you are, you're best served, in my opinion, by sticking with your basic principles. Mine being avoidance, low profile, calculated, you know, plausible deniability, um, not advertising what I may or may not be equipped with or capable of or intending even. Pretty common, um, and I think for good reason, you know, uh, standard protocol among the modern day, you know, golden age of gunfighting sorts of approaches. So I still have to see at this point if my corrections will give me that lower elevation that I need. I will report back. Okay, moving on. Somewhat related, first item of communication. Pertains to the Christian idea of turning the other cheek and the general kind of pagany. I'm letting Riker out in the sunshine. Good boy. The the common pagan complaint about Christianity is like, well, it's a cuck religion, you know, turn the other cheek or whatever. And the question I received was along these lines. You know, basically, this individual was expressing an interest in the spiritual belief, philosophical, aesthetic power of orthodoxy versus other forms of Christianity. but as an agnostic fellow was concerned about this aspect of it. Not that he was, I don't think he was a pagan or something like that, but it's, um, you don't have to be a pagan to note it either. I mean, it's, you go to any mega church and the fact is that there's so much bullshit going on that um, anything like an informed, capable, response to violence or fraud is, is the least likely thing that you're going to find. I mean, you're going to find all sorts of grifting, for literally all sorts, from promises of ridiculous salvation to, you know, not even cutting you a deal on the shitty little Jesus t-shirt they're going to sell you. So the main thing here in my exploration of orthodoxy that I, I think is worth sharing is that in America you have 
you have Greek Orthodoxy, and then you have the variety of the two main ones are Russian and Greek. But then you have a bunch of satellite flavors, Serbian, Ukrainian. Um, what? There's another. There's a handful of others. To say nothing of like the Coptic, which don't show up too much. And you can check out, you can research the history. They're sort of Ethiopian flavors, Africanized, if you will. And, and then you have sort of an American flavor. Um, and these fall under different umbrellas. Rokor is uh, generally what you want to look for, falling under the umbrella of the Russian Orthodox Church. But the Greek it really does have a large presence. And um, I may have mentioned this before, but I have run into cradle Greek Orthodox individuals who had absolutely no idea that there was such a thing as a warrior saint in the tradition. You can look this up. There are icons of various warriors. You'd think St. George uh, being you know, famous outside of even Catholicism much less orthodoxy would occur to people. But I guess, I suppose the mixture of these things and the predominance of a neutered, Protestantized sort of version, a waspy version of Christianity has prevailed in the last century for the most part in media, social settings, etc., when this comes up on the internet, people will go, people will engage the stupid 400 comment thread. And I've yet to see anybody point out this one fact, biblical fact, which is Christ himself. falls into a lineage of priesthood begun by a no-shit warrior saint. One of the things about that I like about orthodoxy is that while it adheres to ancient tradition, and there are dogmas and basic precepts which are inarguable. Nicene Creed, I think is, I mean, you can go a bit farther, but that's kind of the absolute basic. However, there's, with that foundation set, a huge amount of the 
biblical interpretation, theology, lore, whatever you want to call it, is, is still, I wouldn't say debated because, but it probably is debated. I mean, it certainly is debated. Um, you have these strange, like, I would think of them as outlying, um, suspicious, you know, in my, in my opinion, orthodox characters, Rod Dreher being foremost among them. If I look at that man's publishing history, that man's political positions, and try and square them with orthodoxy, you know, it doesn't. And what, what I have to conclude from that is that orthodoxy is a sort of, you know, basically a social framework for him. And the way social framework and aesthetics will overlap, I think he leverages that. Um, and he's evidently to me, I mean, it seems evident to me that he's mostly a spiritual liberal. Um, would he know that, would he know about the character of Melchizedek? I am, maybe, but I doubt he would have taken it seriously. I think it's just another little bit of the story and you know as long as I recite this or that it's good I have asked um, the most rigorous and the most at let me I'm thinking of an individual who I would put at the absolute top he's not you can find him on the internet but he's not doing YouTube videos he's a father deacon in the church he is a English professor at one of the best, you know, and probably last, one of the very few remaining useful universities in America. Um, and I had a conversation about Melchizedek with him. And his opening statement was something like, ah, yes, extremely mysterious character. We know very little about him. I would like to think that this man's approach, that sort of statement, would define orthodoxy. He's not declaring. He's not claiming to know. He's evidencing in his thinking in how he lives his life, a type of humility that's, I think, only possible in certain contexts and when it is exercised over years, decades. So, one of the few things that we do know about Melchizedek is that he was a king. He was in a pre-existing, uh, or a, well, even that is not entirely sure. Uh, 
he's a king, warrior, and a priest. And the mystery, I think some of it arises out of the, what is called the Apocrypha, Apocrypha, excuse me. Um, and these different twists on the various stories. And I won't go into, into that because it's a little bit tangential. But it is very interesting. Um, things like, some of them could, if, could be seen as pivotal and some not so much. Whether he blessed the wine bread, the offerings, or whether it was blessed for him when he visited certain kings. Evidently, the protocol was that the man in higher stature, I forget now whether he would be doing the blessing or receiving the blessing, but I'm pretty sure it's he would be doing the blessing. And that little tiny twist is, is argued, you know, in Jewish tradition, in the Apocrypha, Apocrypha, and then in the way it shows up in, in in fact, I don't even know if it does show up in the Orthodox Bible. He shows up. Melchizedek does. Um, but what does show up is confirmation that this is the line of Jesus' priesthood. And as I recall, you know, going back to this little scene where Melchizedek, I can't remember if it's King David is exchanging the implication is that Melchizedek has his shit together his kingdom his responsibilities are tight and he's observing these various wars that are going on and then showing up um, maybe in the way that one warlord would show up among others after a certain battle that, you know, necessarily didn't involve the, him, but of course it's his, it's in his purview to, to keep track on such things and then to show his respects, um, I guess among peers, if you will, not, not exactly peers, I don't think, but because seeing how history was played out, we can, we can assume that Melchizedek was something special. So if this guy is so crucial to the origins of the entire story, and, you know, I guess we could say, well, when Jesus came along, you know, he could change anything he wanted. I guess he could, yes, certainly. However, he could have picked any other lineage he wanted. He could have just pff, 
ignored all of that entirely. There are as well numerous like more modern uh, soldier, saints, martyrs in Eastern Orthodoxy in particular. And the, the way all this, the reason that, you know, I'm somewhat hesitant to talk about this very much. One is that I'm not a scholar on this. I just, you know, it's my own personal thing. Two, the catty, shitty stuff that happens even amongst the different Orthodox flavors in America is just fucking stupid. Um, the online presence, I don't want to, you know, except with a few exceptions, Jay Dyer um, and some of his um, retinue accepted for the most part you know i don't see a lot of um a lot of folks who who i feel like reaching out to so to answer this question you know there i mean in terms of is is christianity anti-war um no is is Christianity a, a one thing? Well, yeah, actually it is. There's one true church. I'm sorry. Is, is the story, is, is it bigger than that? Is, yeah. Does it exist outside the Orthodox Church? Well, yeah, the whole world exists. But if you're going to make these social political theories... You, and you're going to do it honestly, uh, and you know most people don't know that, don't know this minor history of Melchizedek and what have you. Most people don't know about the saints in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, and you know most of them don't care. However, if you're trying to make some sort of super broad social theory of everything. Well, it was because of this, you know, the inner mechanisms of this belief system ultimately translated out over time into X and Y outcome where you have a nation of cucks who want to cut up their children's balls and allow this to happen. That's not the case. Um, you would have to wind back the definitions way, way back at least to the schism. Roughly late 700s to 1100-something or other. And then you'd have to pull apart that if you wanted to make some giant blanket statement that Christianity is X, Y, or Z with relationship to war. Of course, it becomes a little bit more complicated when 
the modern progressive stupid line, you know, the, the line which is just dumbed down to the point that it can be repeated by anybody anywhere, is that all of these wars, you know, are ultimately religious wars and they're ultimately all, you know, Christian aggressor wars. Which, of course, doesn't follow with the previous conundrum. Uh, Will we turn the other cheek so we can't fight back? What does this mean? But, of course, we're well into the whole uh, arena of bullshit, non-logic, nonsensical, non-consistent... Actors who are not arguing in earnest. Okay. Communicate two. Was regarding my mention of covens, micro covens, etc. This individual had a few angles of inquiry here. The most interesting, uh, from my point of view, was, well, what's going to happen to these characters as the collapse unfolds? Before we get there, so micro-covens are real, and literal covens where women of all ages really are getting together on a calendrical basis mostly aligned with moon moon phase activity essentially you start your working you know in the new moon and you pick something that you want to come to fruition on the full moon they they're encouraged and the cottage industries new age spiritual and there's so much uh latitude between these you know a yoga girl will very quickly be confronted with some buddhisty like language um all of the secret manifestation stuff to say nothing of you know the physical products the candles the incense the chimes the music the clothing if you look at any of these brands it all and the the imagery the lotus petal or what have you <clears throat> if somebody wanted to do a study i mean you would have the proverbial field day tracing all of these things back and on the surface most of it's pretty innocent um you know i wouldn't really say it was charged with 
evil particularly. Nonetheless, my understanding of the origins of the New Age, New Agey movement are not entirely benign or even close. It's almost like, I guess, the egregore, you know, this, uh, this concept where Various individual wills are fusing at some level of abstraction in their like-mindedness, in their intent, in their behavior, and ultimately it's forming, you know, an aggregate, an entity almost or actually unto itself, and the feedback loop kicks in more minds, if you will, using the word lightly, are pulled in to its vortex and the power is increased. Well, that's definitely, you know, a pretty fair explanation for um, the mainstream media leveraging this kind of, you know, invisible army of NPCs. Not exactly invisible, but the leveraging at least is is veiled and its origins and intentions are absolutely veiled and this goes to this point where even though some person some woman say in um a liberal city charlotte you know she may be aware and have within her family examples of as you know just taking this as an example she may be confronted with her own instantiations of anti-abortion pro-abortion viewpoints within her family okay so right there you have an intersection for feminism theoretical feminism you have an intersection for say, political theory, political economy, schools of thought that wouldn't necessarily overtly need to claim their lineage, you know, through some character like, like John Dee or, or Crowley. They would you know, claim their lineage through um, Marx or Foucault or what, what have you, what, whatever. But nonetheless, seen as a sort of a swarm to bastardize John Robb's concept, this higher entity is being formed. And because, say, this girl in Charlotte, Greensboro, what have you, is going to say, well, I know that my dad is against abortion, but my professors, my friends, my yoga teachers are very clearly for abortion. And I kind of, you know, identify with them more 
than my dad. So I guess I'm going to vote this way. You know, basic example of how the social meets the political. And the spiritual, however, is kind of a key ground there. Many people have made the argument conclusively shown, in my opinion, that Modern progressivism, liberalism, what have you, has all the, the hallmarks of a classic religion. This would go a long way to explaining some of its power. And insofar as being wired for religion, and not not just showing up to church in some mousy way, but having profound revelatory uh, experiences. If you look at um, some photos online of this thing called the Holy Fire, Orthodox Holy Fire, you will see something, you know, far closer to what I think people imagine to be, I don't know, you know, paganism, animism, something like that, um, a more wild version, ecstatic in the kind of academic language, a more ecstatic version of Christianity than the megachurch for sure. Good boy. So, check out the Holy Fire. And what I think this evidence is, is a, a couple of things. Like, a misunderstanding of Christianity and... There's a loss, you know, for everybody along the way. Some of the pull back to paganism is merely that. But the utility from the cabal's point of view, if you were to look at, you know, the human cattle unit, um, To obtain ultimate control, you need to obtain control over that particular circuit. You have, you know, they have control over the, the serotonin circuits, the food circuits. However, I think that much of the 60s was them working out, okay, so we... We access the circuit through ecstatic dance or fucking LSD or rock and roll or orgies or chanting. You know, we bring in some 
pranayama, blah, blah, blah. We bring in some gurus. We bring in some, some Buddhism. We start to shave away the foundations of a people and access the main vein there. And it would, it would appear that from that, they derived the new age, new age, um, you know, what is it? It's, it itself is not, there's not a coherent belief system there at all. And there's an there's so much vast there's vast utility in terms of well i mean now that i think about it it's it's almost as if they rewired the dogma aspect into a kind of <laughs> like if you will uh nonsense receiver to just kind of short it and and yet kind of drain the power off into because how else do you explain phenomena like the pussy hat and th when i say vast utility because there's no consistent dogma, you can get something like murderous um, levels of enthusiasm as would regard your vaccine status one week. And now murderous religious quote, religious levels of fervor regarding the status of a very small number of gay people in the fucking Ukraine. There's, there's such a utility there. Very shifty, very dangerous. So this kind of thing appeals to a certain type of woman. And these are the women who make up covens. You don't have to do a whole lot of research to find actual covens. Now, The question of their power is not really the issue. Are, you know, five or six sort of lost little girls meeting with maybe some older divorcee uh, at her 
house in southeast Portland on Friday to drink some wine, smoke some weed, maybe get naked and, you know, light up some quasi-religious paraphernalia, you know, candles, incense, music, what have you, dance around, jot down some intentions about things like jobs, boyfriends, whatever. For the most part, you know, these women are not summoning succubi and um, the named demons of the Bible. So you're asking, well, are there people that do that? Evidently, yes. Um, Maria Abramovich. This is, in my opinion, on the one hand, pathetic. You know, it's, it's not as if in my view, the relationship between whatever you want to call it, forces of darkness and God is in anything like an even playing field. Go back to basics. God made fucking everything. Um, everything exists by his favor, whether it's the grain of sand or whether it's some fallen angel. Just really briefly, not a you know not a scholar on this stuff but my understanding of satan is this is a complicated figure and some of it a good portion of the mythology you know you you may not be familiar with this but like um egyptians had various demon gods one of them was set who sort of became Saitan. I think it was S-E-I-T-A-N. Maybe it was reversed. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. I can Google that shit or whatever and deploy it in an, artist, in an artistic, what have you, manner. But I'm not personally concerned about a character with a pitchfork and cloven hooves potentially lurking you know, in the woods around me or snatching up my kid. The concerning part is you definitely have people that are crazy enough and open-minded enough to attempt to do something like do a working, which is just a, you know, a magical sort of intentional ritual exercise. As far as I know, there is not, even if there were, you know, some grimoire of um, evil incantations, I'm really not that concerned with it. We spoke about fear and the relationship with God, you know, in the last episode. And if that wasn't clear, let's try and make that clear here before we move more into 
what exactly is going on with real covens in 2022, in my humble opinion. That same Father Deacon who I spoke of earlier, who happens to be um, my, my godfather in the church, you know, there's a guy who, I mean, if we're talking about spiritual power, who, you know, maybe I need to call on And yeah, even up to something like an exorcism. That's, that's who my network is. Um, so I'm not fucking concerned. If I place this, um, on the one hand, very cool, incredibly well-read, um, physically capable, outstanding, you know, father into his children, devout in his faith, just a fantastic all-around dude who's devoted his life to a few things, right? Study of literature, the Orthodox faith, his family, his community. And can he discourse on any, yeah, I mean, absolutely anything you want to discuss, he's going to not only drop a more interesting conversation that anybody you will run up against at, say, Reed College, um, he'll, he'll be vastly more capable. He'll note both sides of the argument. He will have control of himself the entire time, meaning he will come out, you know, dignified, and he'll be right. Um, so this guy... This man explained to me that he would have, you know, difficulty praying. That is the ritual activity of calling on God or attempting, you know, communicating with God. I, I, I shouldn't say attempting. Uh, in certain environments, you know. And so he had one or two that were like go-tos for him. And I'm not speaking for him here. I'm speaking for myself to say, what, what more, I don't know that there's anything more personal than your prayer. Why is that if we all share God? My hunch, my speculation which, again, refer back to, go ahead, drop your $5, mini shill here, go subscribe and listen to the past episode to understand the context. But, you know, attempting to be generous here, basically the context was something like, your, your indirects, there's a threat, you experience fear, you call on something. 
your human performance types, your new agers would have you chant some positive self, you know, self-positive mantra or what have you that, fine. Your, your performance athletic types would have you attend to one form of combat breathing or another, fine. It would seem to me derivative of the original saying prayer out loud that is breathing in a certain metronomic fashion and using the power of your words and your voice to invoke some state of yourself and or your environment. And I brought up Julian Jaynes in that context to suggest that science has been struggling with this idea um, of multiplicities and uh, some biological which they claim to have found, right? The God gene. Um, even though every gene everywhere would be attributable to the same source, whether that's your, your flux nature plus infinite time, and then we'll change that at some point, you know, if we need to suit the narrative theory, or God the Creator. <clears throat> Or God the Creator used that, you know. That's um, not necessarily a binary. It's not It's not so simplistic as to say, well, this is the thing that happened, and that's right—a common straw man that's thrown up. Oh, well, it's just that. Again, in the Orthodox tradition, it's there's the there's God, and se pretty much second statement is, or by definition. They don't even, you know, real careful speakers won't even use the word like him being an entity, a thing, a guy, or whatever. Even that is an unknown. What is God? That's why things like, I mean, I'll use it sometimes. It's a force. It's a, it's beyond description. And this is a much more powerful place yeah, an argument, sure. If you know how to do it, you can run circles around anybody. But also, from the utilitarian uh, survivalist, the esoteric survivalist point of view, and here's an opportunity, you know, in the warrior's way, you move out of fear into clarity, well, with respect to this statement about the non the non-certainty of we, we don't even have a word for what God is, right? It's God. And we have a you know a paragraph we can say, and we can use apophatic, we can get into dicing apart theology and saying, well, it's not this, it's not that, so it must be that. But moving out of 
the clarity phase. Okay, well, here's, here's what you know, my version of God is, or here's what Shiva is, or here is this Protestant uh, or you know, Catholic version of what God is, and I know that you need to do 50 Hail Marys, or you need to tithe to the church or whatever, and you need to, that's how you buy your way off. This is, this is, they define it down, right? Okay. They didn't. And this is a fault of Christianity, frankly, in its, in its many convoluted, distorted manifestations. And in the warrior's way, of course, you move out of this into power, where you were just, it just is. So now what am I going to do about it? And you can, you can take from that, you know, a pretty workable solution to the example of the guy in the parking lot with both hands and maybe a kid and a wife and three dudes walking up the aisle next to him. Um very clearly not looking for directions. You may have to call on something more powerful than yourself, than your vision of yourself. And we'll leave that digression right there. Again, listen to the previous Warhorse episode, and that should be a useful um, little spur, additional commentary. And moving so, but moving back to the covens, right? What are the parallels here? Um, Oftentimes, you know, they are calling on some, some specific God. I was listening to this podcast the other day where these people, it's hard to judge their sanity, but, you know, they, they worshiped the old Greek and Roman gods. And they had developed this in their own individual sort of individual system of value, you know, that, and whatever, it sounded like they were happy with it. Um, they were not invoking demons. They were calling on Demeter or Zeus or whatever, you know, when they were in nature and they too had it, they were pretty serious, you know, they had a calendrical seasonal and then a day-to-day pattern. The issue, these people are not the issue, you know, whatever. Do they have some power to call forth Zeus to then wage war against my God? No. The covens, insofar as they present any kind of threat, the threat is in their association to 
genuine evil. When you talk about genuine evil, you're talking about people who willingly move away from God. This is one of the sort of definitions about dis for despair and hell. And much of the discussion that, that revolves around this question of, well, if there's God, how can there be evil? Much of that discussion is dishonest. Almost all of it is uneducated. And nonetheless, it's a very legitimate question. It's one of the, if you're going to choose a religious path, in fact, I think that question itself is where a lot of what we'd call seekers confront these two possibilities of Buddhism, you know, of, um, resulting in a, an explosion of non-identity in the monad at its final apotheosis, or Christianity promising a more, a preservation of the self, right? And it's pretty key, pretty, pretty important question. I think that because they cannot square that, that reality of you have an all loving God, but you have suffering in the world. All right, well, I'm going to take this turn over here into something that I think offers more explanatory power. Not necessarily going to help us to, to take that turn right now. The point is, one, that's that's a certain angle that people are going to think that they gain in my understanding when they take one of these other roads. And as mentioned before, the nebulous, non-committal path of multi-paths, if you will, that is kind of flavored with Buddhism, flavored with witchcraft now, uh, flavored with even just, you know, that even some of these people will pay a sort of homage to Christianity and say stuff like, well, Jesus was an ascended master, so was Buddha. And, you know, fuck if I know. I mean, Buddha might, might be involved. But when you consider what's at stake and just the complexity of this last problem, one of many, how does evil exist in a world created by an all-living God, um, it sort of necessitates, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not encouraging anybody to not explore all the options. That's what I did. That's what I would encourage anybody to do. 
nonetheless, you are not going to, even in the best of circumstances, you have somebody very earnest, capable of doing the research, capable of suspicion and, um, and also open-mindedness, it's going to take some diligence, not just diligence, because it's not as if you follow this path of arguments, oh, okay, you're going to have to immerse yourself in that process to change within you your own heart towards that. That's why this shit is not just formulaic. So changing of your own heart, right, would necessitate experiential learning, what have you. Back to the concerning feature of, of the coven. So I have seen some pretty, yeah, weak piss sort of workings. Um, where there was no attribution to another god. There was no devil worship. There was nothing like this. It was just, in reality, accessing a kind of next level of relaxation by incorporating, oh, music, yoga, some nature, um some some chanting that stuff is um now did i really get into it no nah, not really no um but seeing that as witchcraft <clears throat> is is a step too far are these people really no they're not invoking anything are they misguided are they could they get more sure sure of that group, though, had I done a survey, I probably could have pulled, say there was 30 or 40 people there, five or so, who would be very interested in going to some next level. Now, extrapolate that process out over time, and you're going to get a certain number of people, and they're going to be kind of, as I'm a almost as if they went through a type of selection process, um, if only selecting for, you know, desperation with respect to their feelings of abandonment, which is, you know, it, this has a, a sad quality um, where you really do need to bring in somebody with, a, or a God with a heart like, like Jesus to... <laughs> you know, to enfold these lost folks in their arms. A lot of that, in my estimation, winds out, you know. They meet some trad dude, they change their story, they're off to the next spiritual exercise. Some of it will result in a kind of resentment-fueled, resentment against 
So this is where, you know, the power starts to enter. Resentment against men, resentment against their fathers, resentment against school, resentment against, quote, the patriarchy, right? This is one of these religious terms. If you start to understand the power of all those different things, the power of a father, the power of, in some sense, the state as they view it, um, these are mighty psychic pillars for anybody. That's not, I think, up for debate. So now that is being leveraged as one into via the kind of, you know, dark voltage of resentment, which is right next door to some other nasty emotions, states of being, hatred, anger. And I think these are the access points for some of the the crazier shit that goes down. So set these people, call them the middle-aged divorcee wannabe coven set. Okay, set them aside and then allow for another set. This set is, has always been somewhat self-destructive. Listen to Slayer, listen to Sublime, um, had a few relatives do some time, maybe spent some, a year or two in Vegas doing meth themselves, so on and so forth. You know, you probably know this type of character. And it's nothing against, you know, fucking Slayer individually or whatever. Don't get, don't get wrapped up on that. But it's, it's maybe a less suburban, though it's plenty suburban as well. But it's a group that is going to include a more self-destructive type. Whereas the yoga girl, you know, she's kind of motivated by self-improvement. Um, trading on her beauty is not an alien thing. On the other group, trading on, you know, if we take this meth slayer, rap is in there. I mean, there's all types of, this morphs daily, if not. So, this female is going to trade on sex. Most of the men are going to, you know, actually get laid by presenting these females with drugs or what have you. And here too, you know, there's going to be a, some absent father, uh, a church state situation that failed her. In my opinion, the second set of people is much bigger. And I should be careful not to imply too much of a socioeconomic status on the second set. There are plenty of wealthier types. There are plenty of even yuppie-ish types who spend some time with meth, 
spent some time in uh, gay sex clubs or heterosex clubs. Polyamory is, at least in Portland, you wouldn't, I mean, it's just the same thing, right? Like, wealthier, more attractive people are going to be involved in the polyamory scene and they're going to go and fuck other wealthier and attractive people. And that's how it works. And the other, you know, the less on those two on those scales are going to associate with each other and see themselves as separate see themselves as either above below or stronger in some way or another nonetheless with all these divisions these two sets the more self-destructive or let's you know risk-taking may be somewhat better label Hopefully you get the point. The next step is that both of these groups are merging on multiple levels of belief. And there's a whole bunch of overlap in their, say, political leanings. Arizona, as one example, is a pretty red state, one of the best gun states you can find. Also home to some of the most uh, unique evil in America, for sure. Not just at the border, either. Um, As I recall, the largest annual satanic conference was held this year in Phoenix. There are some famous ex-satanists in the manosphere. And some of those some of the reports that these individuals put forward was that satanism and as you know having witnessed it from the outside right in the news whatever but on the ground as well in portland where there's no shortage of these characters um so much of the story will be or the kind of patina that's put on it is that it's kind of just a a spoof it's kind of a fun thing um and mostly it's just anti-christian all right well that's fine but it's also bullshit because to a man in that group, if you were to survey them, uh, you would find massive amounts of resentment against those main pillars of society and civilization. Whether they change and alter their behaviors or their beliefs and work it out with their dad is perfectly great, good for them. It doesn't change that that's what that organization functioned on before they got there and after they fucking got there. So it's not, you know, it may be for many people. Well, I took it as a spoof. Great. They don't give a fuck how you take it. They want your dues. They want your body present at the meeting or the bar or the, the march or what have you. And that energy is transferred over into 
that angle of attack on that which they despise, hate, resent. So that's maybe like a halfway decent overview of what you're looking at when you're talking about most of these covens. When I say micro covens of Portland, I'm, I'm half making a joke or maybe in three quarters making a joke because it's kind of a joke, you know? You get these girls um, a good husband, um, some babies, give them some meaningful work, all of a sudden, you know, they're no longer that concerned with manifesting multiple lovers at one time or whatever sort of non, ultimately non-productive wishes, fantasies they may have. That's the level that I tend to make light of. The second component of this discussion, however... pertains to a possibility where that energy that we just spoke of is being stored somehow and channeled somehow. You know for certain that your Orthodox Christian girl is going to confront something like that and now she might have some you know exploratory phase where she goes to check it out and she might very well being appro approached that with the same point of view that I do like it has no power over me well why because of the definition of the God that I'm dealing with my God made you made all of this, has absolute total power, and has given you free will to be a jackass or a fool or waste your life or whatever you want. And so I can observe you doing this, and it's, it's ineffectual. However, for the most part, I think that your orthodox, you know, 20-year-old chick at college is going to go, yeah, not really for me thanks, and laugh, and walk on. And that was the benefit of having for her, for her family, for her future children, for her husband, for herself, most of all, of her experience of upbringing. She doesn't have to piss that time away. With that said, so this other side to consider that is... far, far scarier, a far where you do have to, you have to take responsibility for it as, as the father of your house. Um, and if you don't have children or a wife, you're still on the hook. That's how this works. You have, as alluded to earlier, a definite history of interaction at the political level with 
characters like John Dee, Aleister Crowley, Jack Parson, L. Ron Hubbard, um, to, to just from the top of my head list off the more famous characters. Um, all of these individuals are networked directly into the most powerful people in their respective geographical locations. Their influence um, extends on to today. John D. if you want the full, you know, meal deal download, as always, check with um, Mr. J. Dyer, the inimitable and exquisite researcher, presenter, J. Dyer, Jay's analysis. I don't know where, I'm pretty sure he must have something specific on John D. But here you have, you know, the nexus of, of intelligence. I'm being interrupted. So hold that thought and we will continue in one moment. We're at an hour 25 anyway. Okay, I'm back. And it wasn't really an interruption. That nice lady was bringing in my new ShivWorks clinch pick, clinch pick, excuse me, <clears throat> in PVD Black. All right, so continuing, we're talking about the second layer problem. And John D. Crowley, fucking Dianetics, um, Scientology, JPL, many, many other, you know, fascinating, disturbing, undeniably influential, uh, like tail ends of threads, you know, that you can just, you can pull on enough to see that there's, there's intent. We've spoken of Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino. And there again, you know, the operating somehow at these nexus points between religion, uh, in this case Satanism, and uh, political or military influence, or both. So now add MK Ultra. Ongoing, right? They swear that it ended in the 70s or whatever. And um, if you believe that, okay. Add predictive programming, which is a proven fact, an accepted tactic in presumably neutral advertising agencies, subliminal messaging, same deal there, add the massive academic corruption, add intentional psyops, add up in the sort of feedback loop that's resulting now all of your, your racialist, your nationalist um, proclivities towards whatever their desired outcomes, independent of a spiritual worldview, okay? Maybe. And I think that when you add all that up, what you have 
is a large weapon directed through the sort of spear tip of it's something like theoretically Satanist diaspora or something like this but this is directed at a certain people right their enemy those who align themselves with Christ Melchizedek and God now all of a sudden The micro coven um, going out to the club after the working to fuck four guys because you know why? Fuck daddy or fuck my teachers or whatever. It doesn't seem quite so um, disparate. And so this is it's the micro covens and the way that i use them and refer to them is just a shorthand you know for there's plenty of really um dark shit out there if you refer back to that second segment of folks the more self-destructive And you consider something along the lines of drug-induced portal interaction. Back to your DMT, your ayahuasca, uh, even your weed. And you consider that on the one hand, I think that a lot of these people tell themselves that none of that is possible. None of that is true. And then I would go further to say that much of their resentment actually comes from this worldview devoid of any type of magic, any type of enchantment. That's why they're seeking it through these sort of self-destructive, um, quasi-subversive, or just outright dishonorable behaviors. Your biologist, you know, you're, is going to try and slap labels like um, people in need of more intense sensory activity or what have you. Well, why don't those fucking people, uh, you know, like hike up a mountain with a ruck? Why don't those people go hunting? Why don't, I mean, a million other options to say that this is all there is to it and there is not some type of psychological self-destruction and again resentment hatred fueling this is ignorant at best and um covering up for the reality much worse the second segment if if they do not subscribe to a worldview that includes portals, or they tell themselves that, the cost of doing something like flirting with opening a portal and allowing 
any type of demonic, dark, other entity in. So if you want to, if people have this all pervasive need, once again, I think that this need is born out of a fear. Uh, itself a fear. Even good people will will want to ascribe, you know, materialistic, biological, mechanical meanings to these behaviors. Okay, so when they do that, when they when they say to themselves or to their friends, well, yeah, let's let's do this strange combination of behaviors, activities. Let's do some sex magic. Let's take some drugs. And then let's hang out with some people who are already kind of into that shit and who have a dark flavor already. I mean, this is the kind of mm, basic recipe for the old idea of the gateway drug. It's not necessarily that you're going to take, you know, smoke a joint and then shoot the heroin the next time, but you are going to associate with people who are three more degrees of Kevin Bacon closer to the guy who is shooting heroin, who is already, in my terms, spiritually uh, segregated from God, verging into hell, uh, or no, he's clinically depressed, you know, he has... Uh, disequilibrium of certain brain serums, blah, blah. Okay, but he's still expressing a dark energy. In my opinion, at all of these levels, say, you know, your micro coven girl flirting with the heroin guy is one level, opens up to some minor amount or... But who knows, you know, who knows what the influence is on any one individual. And that's the point. At the next level of abstraction, say it's the egregore, this aggregation of beliefs and intentions that will organize a herd of, you know, quote, conscious people, human beings, I suppose. I don't think the egregore operates on, on the herd level, you know, of animals. But the herd level of animals does operate on something that's not simply explainable in purely mechanistic biological terms. So this is where we start to pivot over, right, into this discussion involving Shiv Works, Rupert Sheldrake, the ninja, the shinobi, and inner work. Um, it, you know, it must just be auspicious timing that I have I'm now in possession of my, my new clinch pick. I should have done an unboxing video for you guys. I'm joking. I would never condescend to you in this way. So we're going to go into that in this next um, segment. There's one more question. All of this, as always, is weaving left, right, and center. So we have one more bit of communique and then um, some more in-depth examination on what exactly is going on with this, this essay slash not really organized essay, but series of thoughts, if you will, regarding 
the postural, the postural restoration institute, Shiv Works, the Shinobi inner work. And so we're at 1:35, an hour and 35 minutes. If you have not subscribed, I encourage you to avoid the dark side. Come over to the Warhorse podcast. Share it with your friends. Uh, subscribe. You can pick your level of involvement. $5 minimum. No maximum. You want to pay me in crypto? I'll take it. You want to pay me in gold? I'll take it. You want to take me in weaponry? Pay me. You want to take me in... I will take your weaponry. That's the point. Um, no, in all seriousness... If you've made it this far, I greatly appreciate your attention. Um, as always, I'm a novelist. And my concern is the entire thing. So I'm not necessarily, you know, your specialist in terms of John D. I don't care to have John D's biography seared onto my brain. I like to keep as much brain power available for, um, how do we say it, abstract association powers, you know? And then when I get into an area where I've associated several abstractions and narrowed it down, that may be a point where I want to focus on that, you know, that crossover. This is kind of, along the way, of course, you inevitably wind up as, pardon me, um, fairly well versed in in some of these subjects. And you know, once you refine your various main threads down—not even threads, but your your main. Uh, We'd have to switch metaphors, you know, timbers or what have you. Your superstructure, you do have to go in deep. But for for now, I hope that in response to these two queries, um, we've we've put you on a path at least, or suggested a couple of directions which should, in my opinion, lead, yield, you know, positive results for you. And uh, so for subscribers, strap in. I will be right back. I'll play you, play you some interlude mood music. See if Riker needs to go outside and potty again. And that's it. Talk to you soon. Thank you.